On today's Fit for Purpose podcast, I'm talking with Donna Catley, the HR Director of the Catering, Hospitality and Support Services company, Compass Group. We talk about what levelling up means, how to achieve it, and what it looks like within Compass. Donna, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast this week. I mean, obviously, your business compass has really been on the front line of responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. Tell us a little bit about what you did as part of the pandemic and how it was for all of your employees, um, who are many of them, these key workers that have really kept the show on the road. Yeah, thank you, Justine. I mean, a priority for us at Compass, as you absolutely would expect, our first priority was to look after our colleagues and the communities within within which we operate across the whole of the United Kingdom. And supporting our frontline really was at the very heart of that. The tens of thousands of people that work at Compass are also the key workers that we celebrated and clapped every week for, and they've kept the country going. And what does what does support look like to frontline workers at Compass through the crisis? It starts with pay, actually. It starts with pay. And I was incredibly proud that we were one of the first companies to uh, offer a pay premium to 8,000 healthcare workers that were working in very, very difficult conditions throughout the course of the pandemic. We offered them up to a 17% pay premium, and it was fantastic to see other large retailers follow. And I think, you know, when you're a frontline worker in the way that we have at Compass, pay is incredibly important, and mm-hmm. we should never shy away from that. Um, secondly, the support that we offered to our frontline colleagues and then extending it out into the communities. We donated over 10,000 food boxes to frontline workers that um, worked throughout the crisis. Um, we made thousands of welfare calls to um, our, our workforce. We have a workforce of 45,000 people at Compass, mm-hmm. and we made thousands of welfare calls really to check in on our colleagues um, to make sure that you know we were signposting any of the support that we felt that they needed and really just to make sure that they were okay. And the response from that actually was extraordinary. We set up Helping Hands, which was a financial support fund to help uh, frontline colleagues that we felt were, um, you know, really facing particular financial hardships. And we gave a series of grants to to colleagues to help them through the period and to help to reduce the burden on the NHS and also to ensure that our colleagues had the right access to medical support. We set up a dedicated medical helpline for them. And of course, as you'd expect in a company like ours, we have an EAP, Employee Assistance Programme, and we really kind of put a behind that to offer support and counselling. But the support that we offered went beyond the 45,000 colleagues. It went into the communities that we operate in and serve in across the whole country. We donated uh, half a million pounds worth uh, to food share. Mm-hmm. Um, we created NHS pop-up sites across hospitals throughout the country to help key uh, workers and frontline workers be able to access you know, some of the really simple things that they couldn't get in. Uh, supermarkets, you know, let's not, let's try to forget the uh, the new role issues that um, that everybody faced into. Uh, we donated huge amounts into food banks and we supported a host of different charities, many of which actually we'd never really worked with before, but they contacted us or we heard about them and we just wanted to help. And 
there was one in particular that um, you know we'd never really worked with before. It was a charity to support families that have uh, terminally ill children, and we worked very closely with them to um, put food boxes in their homes and ensure that they were looked after throughout the crisis. And the final area, really, on the support that went into the community and to the country is that. It is the key workers that work in Compass that help to set up the testing centres that we see across the country today and help to set up the Nightingale hospitals. So there's a huge amount that we're proud of, but you know, to say it's been a roller coaster six or seven months it would be an understatement. It has been quite extraordinary. And I think um, more to come in a sense, um, announcements over the last week, you know, we're all having to confront the fact that you know, this probably isn't going to be over by Christmas. And, and I, I suppose, again, for Compass, it's almost taking another deep breath and, and, and working out how you can not just do this for a short period of time, but a much more sustained period of time than maybe any of us imagined right at the beginning in, in March. Obviously, I was at one of the hospitals that you help keep on the road, which is King's College in London, literally just couple of weeks before the lockdown happened so you know I've often thought about how, how difficult it must have been for that team that I met that day. Yeah I mean I think uh, God I look back Justine and, and that, and that, that brilliant day that we spent together in March and who could could, could any of us have known what was going to unfold uh, I, I mean you know you've met some of the frontline workers that work with us it is extraordinary. What they do anyway uh, is extraordinary, yes. but what yeah. they've been doing throughout this crisis is is just totally awe-inspiring. And I think, you know, when we start to look at the next six months, one of the keys for us will be to continue to support those people um, mm -hmm. and to continue to celebrate them, to celebrate them in Compass. We've had a huge amount to uh, what we call Hidden Heroes, our Heroes Awards, to really celebrate and recognise the incredible endeavours of our front line, but also to do that across the country um, because the huge demands on these people that, you know, sometimes they're, they're, these are the jobs that get forgotten, um, but the demands on these jobs and the people that are within them, are, I mean, it, ha it hasn't gone away. It is going to get worse. Do you think that people's views of, of who a key worker is has changed because of COVID? You know, they've got a much clearer sense of actually just how many people help keep keep things going for day-to-day -day life. And that includes your, your employees. I hope so. I, I hope it's changed uh, permanently. Um, at, at Compass, we've always felt a huge pride in the, the people that work in our business. It is the cleaners, the porters, the chefs. Um, in other companies, it's the bus drivers, it's the shelf stackers. You know, these are the people that, at the, at the very best of times, keep keep society going. And you know, they're often the jobs that we don't really recognise. And I really hope that what we see goes beyond the weekly clapping. I think you know this is a real opportunity for business and for government to work closely together to partner to affect real positive change um, for the people that do these jobs. And I think fundamentally to place actually a higher value on some of these jobs. And do you mean that in terms of, if you like, a wider recognition from society? How, I mean, you mentioned partnering up with government. How would you like to see that work, ideally? I think, look, I think there is um, a 
huge leveling up agenda that's that's clearly front and center for the government and you know who, who could disagree with that uh, leveling up is in at its heart it's really about fairness and equality for everybody and we all want that we all want that um, I think the partnership between government and business has probably never been more important for us to have really targeted interventions in both education mm -hmm. and in jobs because it's the two together hand in hand across our country that really enable people to achieve their um, ambitions and their dreams. Um, and at Compass, I think we're uniquely positioned actually to be able to, 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 to affect change. And the reason I say that we're uniquely positioned is really three things. The first is that as an industry, we're very barrierless to entry. We don't have some of the educational and um, so and, and qualificational barriers that make it really difficult for people that have come from more disadvantaged backgrounds to get in into a, into the workforce. We have scale that's incredibly important. We have forty five thousand colleagues that work for us, and very importantly in the scale, we also have spread geographic spread. Uh, we, we have jobs that are spread across the whole of the United Kingdom, and so with that comes. I think a real uniqueness uh, for us as an organisation to be able to to affect to help to affect change, and that's why we've got we've really placed social social mobility at the heart of our people agenda. I think it's fantastic, and one of the the you know we're really proud to be working with you through the social mobility pledge and. I mean, obviously, uh, one of the things that Compass has done with us is pull together an opportunity action plan that really focuses on the pathways and the upskilling that you offer for your employees. And tell us a bit about how that works and, and in a sense, why it's so important to the company. I mean, it's incredibly important to Compass because we need to have fantastically skilled and motivated and engaged workforce at scale across the whole country to deliver our business. We, we can't survive without, um, without that. Um, so for us as a business, um, you know, there's a very clear business imperative, but it, it goes way beyond the head. It goes to the heart as well. And it goes to the fact that we do see ourselves very uniquely positioned. Um, it, we, we have a real focus at Compass on what we call the first rung of the career ladder. And the first rung is that first opportunity um, in many different guises for somebody to start to learn new skills and gain new confidence and begin, begin their career. And so the first rung is really what we think of as the cornerstone in our, in our uh, organisation and in our plan. Apprentices are a hugely important part of that. Uh, over the last three years, we've um, we've trained over a thousand apprentices, and we see them really as the lifeblood for our organisation. And the commitment that we've had to our apprentices uh, throughout the crisis has been unwavering. Actually, um, we've continued to invest in them and support them, and and you know, there's nothing that makes you feel prouder than seeing apprentices grow and graduate from the programme. And so. Uh, I think we'll have further plans to strengthen our apprentice program, probably move it to degree level so mm -hmm. that we have um, give our colleagues the opportunity to um, to actually get a degree through the apprentice program. Huge ambitions there. Uh, the 
Kickstarter, I, I see us as, a, as an organisation that would be very deeply committed to the to, to mm -hmm. Kickstarter. I think, you know, that will be important for us as a business and um, important for us to be able to give back. Um, we have some huge ambitions, actually, around, around what we're calling the Compass Academy. Mm -hmm. um, which is really a physical and online learning academy for the tens of thousands of people that work for us. And it will be a, a, a multi-million pound investment that we'll make located in the West Midlands with outreach programs that will target social mobility cold spots that we know exist mm -hmm. around, around the West Midlands area. And I think um, that's probably one of the most ambitious areas of our uh, agenda. Um, and it will help to augment what we already do. We already um, offer around, invest in around a million hours worth of learning per annum at Compass. And so I think it will you know, continue to augment that. Um, and then the career pathways is hugely important because it is the career pathways really that help our 45,000 colleagues to really understand very simply, what does it take to get on in this business? You heard yourself, Justine, when you were with us in March, you heard the brilliant stories about some of our employees and how they started with us. Many of them didn't even speak English, but they learned English and they'd taken a first step on the rung and it had then helped. We'd helped them and they'd helped themselves to, to grow their career and to being managers in our business. And, and I think one of the, sorry, I remember one of those people, um, told me that she'd her kids had just grown up a little bit so they were just at school and she thought oh I could just do with earning a bit more money now really so she got a temporary sort of part-time job I think with Compass in a, in her local hospital which was um, King's College Hospital South London um, and then her uh, team manager had said oh you know you you might want to think about doing a supervisor job at some point or go like going a bit more permanent anyway the next thing, you know, is 10 plus years down the track. She's literally one of the people running a 900 person team at King's College Hospital and almost this accidental career. And if, I'm sure if you'd said to her way back then, by the way, this is the start of, you know, possibly running a 900 person career, you know, team, she'd have thought, oh, my God, I don't want to do that. But the bottom line is um, she'd started working and she'd been nurtured through a career path. That had taken her into a really senior role within the company brilliantly frankly at every step of the way with the sort of the confidence the encouragement but also the support and the training that she needed and that i think it was a brilliant example of how really somebody could start at the most unpredictable you know beginning of a career path and nevertheless have a journey right the way through and one of the things that came through really strongly in the work that we did with you was this concept of no dead end jobs yeah. and like a lot of people can maybe start in more unskilled work but it doesn't mean that that has to be the end of a career actually it can be the beginning of a career and why like, why wouldn't it be and why wouldn't you want to develop the talent that you've got in your organization yeah i think that's that's absolutely right and you know the the people that you met on the day out with us, you know, you see that replicated across, you know, the mm. 5,000 units that we have within the country, those stories of people that started in one place. And it's, it's often the manager, it's often a manager that turns to somebody and says, in effect, I believe in you, I believe mm. in you. Mm. 
and I want to encourage you. And by the way, did you know that the company will pay for this training course? Why don't you do it? And um, you know that is often how careers for people are built. Then they're, they're not always built with a uh, you know a laser-like master plan. They they often built accidentally because of opportunism, because somebody believes in you and thinks you could do more or do different. And uh, we see that we see that absolutely at Compass Group. And our focus on the pathways really is to help to make that more predictable and reliable for the people that work for us, um, so that it doesn't happen by accident. It happens. It happens organically, but also with a little with a little bit more of a plan as well. Yeah. So yeah. we can ensure that um, you know, uh, for every one of the forty five thousand people that work here, they they get a great experience and they get a manager that says, "I think you could, I think you could do more. You could do different." And um, it is often the confidence. It's often the confidence that is ignited. Uh, I think, you know, the dead end jobs piece, um, you know, it's not something that really resonates with us at Compass and it certainly doesn't resonate with me. I think every single, every job is an opportunity to learn something new, to acquire a new skill, to gain more confidence that you could do something. And sometimes it can be as simple as actually learning the skill of turning up to work on time. Um, and, uh, you know, all every single job, be that temporary, be that casual, be that part time, be that permanent, every single job is an opportunity for somebody to to get that first rung on the ladder. And I, I don't think it's, you know, there's ever been a more important time for people to feel that and for companies to invest to ensure that people can do that. And I think we the other part of that visit was going to the Excel Centre in London, and you know again some of the people that I met there were incredible. You know they were maybe people I think a couple of them had come out of the care system, um, and just the work to make sure that they had that stepping stone of an opportunity that could then open out into more opportunities. Just absolutely crucial. And I think what really struck me on that visit was how for you as a business, actually, you can think about reaching out to some of those people who are perhaps even further away from otherwise having opportunity. And then you've got a scale to really be able to find probably just the right role to help them get over that first that first set of hurdles. But, it, you know, I also got the sense, you know, it's not easy and it takes a genuine, a genuineness in a sense about working with those people to be able to do it successfully. Yeah, I mean, we have a we have a philosophy that we really call nobody left behind, that no nobody in society should be left behind, regardless of where what their starting point was. And uh, we place a huge amount of emphasis on that. We're a signatory of the care covenant. And so we have programs in place to support people that have grown up in the care system uh, to support them and help them to start their career. We have the same, we're a signatory of the military covenant. And so we help people that have spent the first part of their career, um, you know, serving our country and are now looking to make a career change as they leave the, the military and the armed forces. And we um, were very, very proud of that. And we have, through partnerships with charities, huge programs in place that help people that maybe have, um, 
lived, lived and grown up in areas where they've seen real systemic unemployment. They may not have had family members and role models who've had employed jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, and our philosophy there really is to is to turn around to them and say, we believe in you, we believe in you. And actually, we really need you and we want you and to invest in them and uh, support them through traineeships and uh, programs that help to equip them with the skills that they need. And I think, you know, in doing that, as you say, coupled with the geographic spread of the business and the scale of the business, it means we can make a really big difference to people, a really big difference. And um, in that way, you know, we potentially redefine the debate around what social mobility really looks yes. like. Um, often, very importantly, but not exclusively, the social mobility focus can tend to be about um, getting more disadvantaged children into red brick universities and then onto city careers. That's incredibly important and we mustn't lose focus on that. However, um, social mobility, the way that social mobility shows up in Compass, which can be a few rungs on a career ladder from a kitchen porter to a chef, from a retail assistant to a unit manager or a re regional manager, a few rungs on the ladder for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, actually can make a massive change to society and it can change people's lives and the, the lives and ambitions of their families. I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I've never felt that social mobility is almost just about a few gifted and talented people getting, you know, having the chance to get right through to the top. For me, it was has always been much more of a, a philosophy about people being able to reach their potential, whoever they are, you know, wherever they are, whatever they want to do, and almost achieving success on their own terms um, and having choices about being able to to do that rather than maybe just being straightjacketed into something purely purely because of where they start. And I think, you know, I think it'd be interesting. I and mean, tell us if you were looking at almost a typical career path of somebody coming into Compass, or maybe a couple of them, you know, what what might they look like? Give us a flavor of those sorts of journeys within the business people might have. Yeah, I mean, you can absolutely start in this business, and people do um, start in this business. You can start as a retail assistant uh, on an hourly paid job um, behind behind the till in one of our retail outlets across across the country. Um, great job, learn great skills, teaches you customer service, teaches you you know all of the basics of retail. You, there's no reason then why you couldn't then move on to becoming an assistant manager. So you're almost second in command to the manager of that retail outlet and then to become the manager of that retail outlet, um, managing a team of people, man managing the kind of the profit of that business. And then from there, people absolutely do at scale move on then to become a regional manager. So you'll manage uh, uh, not one retail outlet, you can manage 10, 20 re retail outlets uh, in a geographic area large people management experience that's required there. You, you know, you could be managing teams of 50 plus. Mm -hmm. uh, and then from there, there's no reason why you couldn't become a director in this company, managing a whole line of business, managing hundreds of people, managing the profit and loss of that business. 
Um, we see that every day in our business. And when you look at some of the senior level leaders that we have in our organisation, in fact, when you look at the executive team at Compass, you'll often find that um, people have taken those types of routes uh, up to the senior level in our organisation. So that, that would be one. Another option, we're a food business. At the heart of our business, everything that we do is really around food. We have brilliant examples of um, people that have worked in our business. They might have been a kitchen porter. They might have started as a cleaner. Uh, they, they, they've always wanted to work as a chef. They've had ambitions for that. Through the apprentice program, we've helped to um, train people to, to become chefs. Uh, we've got brilliant examples as one uh, of an individual who'd worked with us as a cleaner for about 15 years. She'd always wanted to be a chef and her manager said to her, look, you know, I think I think we can help you with that. And uh, she we placed her on the apprentice program two years later. Um, she graduated from that. She's she's now a qualified chef. And, um, you know, she did that. She had the ambition and the courage to do that. We, we simply helped and supported her. And she can now progress in and that within Compass. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, she can continue. Completely going. different to how she started out as well. That's right, that's right. And sometimes I think, you know, it, it is, you don't need to paint the end goal because the end goal for somebody can actually just feel almost overwhelming, get so mm. out, out of people's frame of reference. Um, sometimes just painting the next few rungs of the ladder is, is, is what will give people the confidence to be able to say, oh, yeah, maybe I could do that. I will give that a try. OK, I can see how, how the company is going to help me. I'll do that. And from that, then that's how careers grow. And tell us a little bit about your career, Donna. Obviously, you're a senior woman at the top of a, a very large company, actually. Um, how does it work for you? Um, I grew up in Longbridge in Birmingham, which uh, Longbridge, uh, you know, is where Longbridge car plant was um, right. on the outskirts yeah. of outskirts of Birmingham. Very working class. I mean, in many ways, it's a pretty pretty standard story. Justine, uh, I was the first to go to university in my family. I was the first person actually to work in an office in my family. Uh, my dad, my dad worked on the shop floor at um, at Rover Car Plant. My mom worked at Sainsbury's. Uh, she she worked on the tills at Sainsbury's. Both of my nans were cleaners. Uh, my granddad actually was a chef, and so in some ways, I feel like I've been drawn to Compass because it does, you know, really align with with the roots of who I am and where I where I grew up. And uh, now I was incredibly lucky because people believed in me. Uh, I had found that your family was sort of right behind you when you were aiming to get to university. Yeah, I mean, if I'm honest, I think um, nobody had ever been to university. So it was almost slightly surprising, slightly shocking in a really positive way. Um, but I had, you know, family that were totally, totally supportive. Uh, teachers that opened my eyes, if I'm honest, they they supported me to um, to get a scholarship that ultimately took me to Oxford. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was because of the teachers, because of the support of my family, um, you know, that I was able to do that. And, and then from a work perspective, the same, you know, I look back on my 
you know, 20 plus years working. And, you know, I think it's, it's people that I've worked for that have, you know, pushed me and taken a chance on me, actually. They've taken a chance on me. And, you know, I think you want to, when you've had that yourself, you want to give it back to others. And did you always feel like you'd end up in a human resources, personnel, people style role? Has that always been your thing, as it were? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, just being honest, I didn't even know what that was. I had no idea. Yeah. What did you I study did, at university? What did you do at Oxford? I, I studied history and I graduated mm -hmm. in a recession. So um, I've got great life experience about how it feels to study history and graduate with not many jobs. Um, I mean, I, I didn't know what this was. I didn't know, you know, nobody, I didn't know anybody that worked in an office. So I had no idea what, what businesses were. And I always remember my mom saying to me, she was so proud because she was so pleased that I didn't have to wear a uniform to work, that I could, you know, work in an office and I could choose my own clothes. Um, so I, I didn't have a clue, Justine. And, you know, you, you, you just don't know what you don't know. Um, I started when I graduated, I, I worked for a consultancy, management consultancy, mm -hmm. and from that really I started to understand what were some of, some of the jobs that were available, and I was most drawn to the people function because I thought it was the most tricky actually. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people are not black and white, they're not predictable. Um, you don't know kind of how people will respond or react, and changing people's views or attitudes or mindsets or behaviours is probably one of the most tricky things to do. Um, and so that's probably what drew me to it. But if I'm honest, it was as much by accident as anything else. Which is so often the way in reality, isn't it? You, you sort of, I think some people, you know, I always used to find it frustrating at school with, with a few of my friends wanted to maybe be doctors or vets and they'd know exactly what they needed to do and when and where it would take them. And then I'd be there thinking, oh, God, I haven't got a clue what I want to do. <laughs> I thought I just want to have a good job and a good profession or something like that that's reliable. Um, but I didn't really know what. And, um, you know, when I look back on it, you know, I remember we hadn't got a clue really what going to university was going to be like for me or what these roles would be on the other side. But I think for our family, we just had a sense it was a good step. Yeah. And, you know, I ended up in a bit like you, I joined what was then Price Waterhouse because I thought, well, I'm interested in business, but I don't really know what I'll be good at or what, what sector I'll be interested in. Um, and I just thought it was a really good way of finding out about those sorts of things. And yeah, you just don't know that when you start, you know, especially if you maybe haven't had lots of people around you giving advice or getting you connected up with work experience. I think it is much more a bit of a shot in the dark at times. And I do think that the work we're doing through the pledge and with companies is a great way of helping to give people more informed choices about what their careers might look like. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I remember when I started work, I, I didn't even know what to wear. <laughs> I, didn't know what to wear. I, mean, I went to got a suit from M&S. It didn't fit me very well, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what to wear. You don't know how to show up. You, you know, it's sometimes these small things that can make people feel quite anxious and, and put people off, actually. And, um, you know, that's where the help and support of others is, just becomes invaluable. What shoes to wear, what suit to wear. Yeah, bit of advice never goes amiss. And if you were 
looking back to yourself all those years ago, maybe not maybe not Donna who was kind of finding a way at Oxford and, and kind of you know getting those next steps in place, but but the one that was at school where the teachers were having a chat about you know maybe you could go to university. What advice would you give yourself back then, little to little Donna? What do you think? Um, I think I would just say go for it. It's the advice that I would give anybody, which is just just go for it. Because if you try and if you fail, that's okay. Failure is totally okay. Um, what's not okay is 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 to is to just you know give up, not just not give it your best shot. And so I just would say go for it and I would say enjoy it enjoy it actually and don't drink Thunderbird I would definitely tell my 18 months <laughs> never touch Thunderbird no good can come from that <laughs> very good practical um, advice as well as philosophical advice there Donna it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the podcast um, a real pleasure we're so excited about the opportunity action plan that we will be launching with compass shortly um, and hopefully beyond that yeah continuing to make the case that there aren't any dead-end jobs out there if employers make sure that there aren't it's in the hands of businesses isn't it Donna and I think hopefully they can look to a company like compass to sort of give us a sense of how you actually go about doing that so thank you so much for having us and doing the podcast and uh, we look forward to getting it all published thank you what's really inspirational to me about compass group is what donna said about how successful careers are only ever just a few rungs on the ladder away especially if you get the support and development that you need to climb that ladder and it means a role working part-time to earn extra money can be the first rung on a ladder that sees you end up running a very large team. And it's remarkable that Compass can offer opportunities to people who aren't so fluent in English, but through their work with training and development a few years later, they're not only fluent, but can be managers within the business, building a successful, fulfilling and contributing life. To me, social mobility is about people achieving success on their own terms, whatever they are. And with companies like Compass and others who are part of the Social Mobility Pledge, we want to collectively help this to happen for more people. It's about an end to dead-end jobs, wherever they are.